Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Heads up, everyone. This recording is a bit shorter than usual because it originally featured two guests. Ultimately, one guest's audio and video did not survive. However, I do promise to have them back on another time soon. If you're watching on video, you may notice some discrepancies since we had to re-record a few questions. However, hopefully tweaks to the audio make for seamless listening. Despite the snafu, this turned out to be a great episode. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the August 31st, 2021 episode of Unchained. My book, The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze, is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Bookshop.org, or any of your favorite bookstores. Go to bit.ly slash cryptopians. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S. Polymarket is the leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most hotly debated topics, whether it's politics, coronavirus, current events, and more, all on the blockchain. With over $130 million traded on the platform, Polymarket is the go-to place to settle the biggest debates of the day. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCHAINED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. The Crypto.com app lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place. Earn up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins, paid weekly. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. The link is in the description. Today's guest is People Pleaser, a digital artist who has dropped quite a few popular NFTs over the past six months. Welcome, People Pleaser. Hi, thanks for having us. Let's start with you telling us what it is that you used to do before crypto, how you got into crypto, and what it is you do now. Um, hi, so I basically, I'm a digital artist. I specialize in sort of like 3D animation. I've been doing it for the past six years plus. Um, and previously I was working in sort of film and television and commercials also was on the cinematics team at Blizzard. And then um, starting last summer, I got into working with like collaborating with uh, DeFi protocols and just working crypto and also uh, making NFTs. And so that's what I'm doing full time today. Yeah. And one thing I love about your story is that kind of what maybe, I don't know if it was the precipitating event, but you had accepted a job at Apple and then that got rescinded because of the pandemic. And basically after that, you stumbled into crypto. And so your life, I think, would be quite different if you had ended up with that job at Apple. I We would not have be having this conversation right now. <laughs> and I would probably just be rendering iPhones somewhere in Northern California. So, And you would definitely not be allowed to talk about your work, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> probably not. 
we can maybe talk about your Uniswap V3 video first. I mean, I know you had done DeFi videos before then, but I think that was the one, uh, maybe that was kind of the the first big one that you did. Um, so why don't you tell us that story about how that came about and then what happened with it? Totally. Um, so basically what happened was, yeah, like starting from last summer, I was just collaborating with different DeFi protocols. Um, same thing, I would just make animated um, short form videos or hype videos that just, you know, sort of is my visual representation of what I think the DeFi protocol represents and everything. And then in January, Uniswap had reached out to me asking, um, actually, they reached out to Tarun Chitra, who um, asked if he knew me and they could like put him, he could put them in contact with me because they wanted to talk about something. And so when they did, they asked if I would be interested in making an animation for them for the V3 launch, which obviously anybody who was in DeFi at the time would have been like, this is the biggest announcement of the year, basically. So I was like, of course, I can't believe you guys would put so much trust in me to, you know, basically help set off such a big announcement. And so, um, you know, conversations started kicking off like around end, end of January. And then um, I really started production on it probably sometime in February. And, um, you know, my process usually with, especially with bigger pro- projects like this, because they did give me a little bit more time. Um, so I wanted to be a little bit more ambitious with it. You know, I make a storyboard and we go over the idea. You know, I sketch it out. Um, you can see this in my sort of behind the scenes video um, that you can find on Twitter. And then, uh, you know, we move on from the storyboard to like making an, what we call an animatic, which is just a very, very rough um, animated representation of what the animation might look like. And, um, and then that was also when, you know, we kicked off uh, scoring the, the video as well. So, you know, like I, I, I originally put in a piece uh, of music from this uh, underground uh, musician that I really like um, as sort of like a reference. And then we found an actual um, composer. His name is Isaac, is Isaac Kors on Instagram. Like he's so, Isaac's leader, but it's Isaac Kors on Instagram. He's so talented anyway. And then so, you know, he basically like drew my, the one that I put in as a reference and then um, it was inspired by that. But um, it was kind of like a, I was doing the animation um, uh, with the help of like two of my friends because it was a lot of work. Um, it was a 45 second a long animation that overall basically from start to finish took about at least a month and a half to finish. And so, yeah, I mean, that was a whole process. You know, I was also obviously directing it, like giving notes on, you know, everything like let's say from the music to just creating the whole vision really. And then um, when it came out and yeah, in end of March, which is when they announced V3, I mean, when they first tweeted out the video, it got like more than half a million views within 24 hours. Um, I think everybody on crypto Twitter had probably seen that video at that point. And um, it was a really special moment. You know, I think this is sort of like my magnum opus, I guess. Um, And, you know, everybody, it kind of, you know, following that, obviously we sold it or I sold it as an NFT, which all went to charity. But then that's sort of what put me on the map for, you know, like the NFT community. But, um, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, that was like the headline of it saying, oh, people pleaser, you know, raise this much money after selling an NFT because NFTs were all the talk at the time. Right. But to me, at least the um, most special part was just when Uniswap tweeted out the video before it was even an NFT. And just to see everybody sort of react to that and just that my animation has an impact on people 
um, was so cool. And so, yeah, that was obviously like a project that has a very special place in my heart. Yeah. And that NFT, if I recall, um, it raised, it went for like 300 and something ETH. Yeah. 310 Ethereum. Yeah. So were you expecting that or was that a surprise? (laughs) That was definitely a surprise. I was speaking with a dear friend at the time um, about what we think what the piece would go for. And I set like a range. I said, okay, I think, you know, maybe low uh, on the low end of expectations, maybe it would go for single digit ETH and then high end of expectations would be uh, probably a hundred K in US dollar, you know, which at the time, because specifically when I sold the piece, the um, dollar value of Ethereum was kind of low. It was like, you know, I actually almost didn't uh, drop it that week because I was just like, the prices are so bad right now. I'm not sure if this is a good time in the market to drop an NFT. But at the end, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go with whatever I originally planned. So let's just do it anyway. Um, so yeah, that was the expectation. But obviously, it ended up like way exceeding my expectation. <laughs> so that was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's an amazing story. And I, I just love um, again, like I said, you know, a year ago, you thought you were going to be working at Apple and, and, and said that, you know, you're kind of, you're your own brand and you're connecting directly to your fans. Um, so I think it like is a really good example of how NFTs are changing things for creators. Before we get into a broader NFT discussion, would you like to tell us about one specific project that you're especially proud of? You have a few to choose from, either your old DeFi videos or your fortune cover. You can pick whatever you like. Um, I mean, I think I can probably talk about the Fortune one because it's just like more uh, recent and, um, you know, fresher in people's minds. Basically, I think like a few months back, uh, Alex, I'm going to butcher his last name. It's like Mezmedge. He's like the founder of Showtime. Mezmedge, yeah. I I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's what it looks like. Sorry if I butchered it. Yeah. Yeah. So he um, originally made the connection. Basically, he reached out and said that somebody from Fortune want to talk to me um, if I'd be interested. And then I said, yeah, sure. And then so... I think originally, you know, that that was a few months ago. I I just thought that, you know, maybe they were just trying to do another NFT collaboration or something. You know, I wasn't really sure. But then, um, you know, and then nothing, yeah, kind of nothing, nothing happened until like a few months later when their creative director, Peter Herbert, uh, just cold emailed me and said, hey, do you want to do the cover for Fortune magazine? <laughs> um, uh, the next issue that we have coming out is a special one that's covering cryptocurrency and DeFi. Yeah, like they, they were just like, and um, we watched your Uniswap like behind the scenes video and we thought that you would be, you know, really perfect for this. And then, you know, for me, I think right now, hopefully I'm trying to make all of my collaborations or NFT projects something meaningful or something that like elevates the crypto community. Um, and so this seemed like a perfect platform for it. I was obviously down, but you know, it was a blank slate in the beginning. I didn't have actually any ideas for what I would actually do for the cover. Um, and it's one of those things kind of similar to the Uniswap V3 thing where I'm just like, I think this is going to have a lot of eyes on it. So I better take it seriously or I need to, you know, really make the most of it. And then um, I was chatting with Leighton Cusack, uh, founder of Pool Together, uh, a little bit later, and then I was just sort of lamenting my woes about, oh, I don't have any ideas for the cover, and it's a lot of pressure, I don't know what to do. 
And then he, being a genius, obviously went home that night and then texted me the next day. He goes, oh, I was thinking about your fortune cover. And I thought it'd be kind of cool if you did something like a portal or something that represents like going down the rabbit hole of crypto. And then, you know, inside there's all these like uh, crypto anonymous Twitter avatars or something. Because we had previously floated around, you know, some ideas because around the time there were some NFT projects that were, you know, either including like famous VCs or, you know, famous influencers, crypto punks or something to sort of gouge engagement. And then so, but then, um, you know, Fortune were like, oh, we had Elon Musk on one of our previous like covers. And then I think there were some legal issues with including like actually famous real people or something. And then so Layton was like, look, if you did it with anonymous Twitter people, like you wouldn't have that problem. And then I was like, this is genius. And so, you know, I am like full credit to him for the idea. Um, but, you know, I, I still had to obviously like think about how I was actually going to visually present this and put it together. And so that's pretty much why I spent all my time doing, you know, and I, I made a tweet that was sort of, I guess you could say crowdsourced where I was just like, uh, without any context, who are the most famous crypto Twitter anonymous profiles? Um, and then, you know, obviously a lot of people commented and contributed. So in the future, if people want to know, like, you know, about things like this, they should look out in my tweets. Sometimes there's alpha leak. Um, and then, so yeah, I kind of sourced that together and put it together. And, you know, and then I obviously spent the rest of the time making sure that the artwork looks polished and professional and, you know, presented in a, in a visually pleasing way, uh, because that is my job after all. And then um, I think, yeah, Fortune have been a really good sort of like collaborative partner on it. They were so willing and open-minded to learn anything more about crypto and DeFi. You know, we were like, uh, I was saying like, oh, I'll probably name these pieces like something like to do with a chat. And they're like, what does chad mean? And then, you know, it's like, and then they started, they started using the term now themselves. Like, it's great. Um, and then, so yeah, you know, when I uh, posted on Twitter initially for the first time, I think it shocked a lot of people. people. A lot of people thought it was a joke at first. They were like, there's no way, like, this is real. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also feel like, it's almost, I was like, I can't believe they let me do this. Like, it's like, I, I feel like I got away with murder or something. You know, it's just like, this is not allowed. Like, um, and it was a pretty provocative title as well or tagline that they had on the cover like crypto versus wall street because them being fortune and uh the fortune 500 companies mostly are you know sort of not that and so um the whole issue but i think you know meant a lot to me myself you know because obviously crypto awareness is something that i care about um and i think the community as well and so that's kind of why this cover is currently still like sold out at all new stands um because everybody just felt very like represented by this um, issue. And, you know, even just the articles inside were sort of educating people about DeFi, you know, the cover art is merely just an initial means of attraction, but the whole entire issue itself is, um, I think, a meaningful one. So, yeah, I'm just glad that it turned out really cool. You know, based on your experience, how would you say the way artists make or creators make or can make money with NFTs differs from how they made money previously. And, and, you know, how has that affected your life? Previously, um, you know, being a digital artist, I, I feel like sort of the direct path of monetizing your work is literally just posting. If, if you're doing you know, your work for yourself, then you post art on Instagram, hopefully get engagement and likes, and then through traction, attract clients 
who then you do work for, if that makes sense. And otherwise, you know, if you were sort of like going my route, which was, I was just trading my skill set um, to create other people's visions. So for example, working on movies, um, TV shows, commercials, you know, that kind of stuff. And so uh, NFTs obviously really changed the game for a lot of digital creators because other than maybe physically selling like prints of your work, um, that was kind of like the only direct way to monetize your digital work. And so uh, that's where NFT came in. You know, uh, previously we were based, I, I think I tweeted this once where it's like, in the old world, I guess, we uh, digital artists were um, helping Instagram make money while they were paying us in likes. And But now um, with sort of NFTs, you can actually have utility and value to the work that you're creating. You know, not to mention uh, that royalties are a thing now um, with blockchain and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it's been wildly different for me, especially, you know, like we said, I would just be still rendering iPhones, uh, like, you know, 3D iPhones right now if, like, I didn't get into NFTs or I didn't, like, stumble into crypto. Um, so, yeah, that's my take on it. Great. Yeah, this is, it's just been so fun researching this episode. All right. So in a moment, we're going to talk a lot more about kind of the financial aspects of NFTs. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make the show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. If you're a hodler, Crypto.com Earn pays industry-leading interest rates on over 30 coins, including Bitcoin, at up to 8.5% interest and up to 14% interest on your stable coins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly and gives you 100% rebate for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. There is no annual or monthly fees to worry about. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 when using the code LAURA, L-A-U-R-A. The link is in the description. Today's sponsor is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions, all on the blockchain. Choose from a variety of markets. Will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. have more than 200,000 COVID cases per day before 2022? Will Trump run for president again? With over $130 million traded on the platform, Polymarket is the go-to place to settle the biggest debates of the day. Want tomorrow's news today? Use Polymarket to see real-time data on what the market thinks will happen. No fake news, no pundits without skin in the game. Think you know more than the market? Trade on your beliefs and earn a return if you're right. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCHAINED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Go to the description and click on the link to get started. polymarket.co slash unchained. Back to my conversation with People Pleaser. So I'm just so curious to hear how you feel the art world for NFTs is different than the art world for traditional artists. And by that, it can be anything from, for instance, who the collectors are or how the artwork itself is different. Or you could tell me a little bit about what you think the technology is doing to your field. So far, uh, it seems a lot of NFTs still very much rely on like visual imagery to sell the work, you know, and I think that the general public, when they think about NFTs, it's almost synonymous to them to NFT art or like visual art. 
And, you know, it's gotten to a point where even like musicians or, you know, people who have previously been making creations or art uh, and other mediums that are not visual are having to sort of like reach out to visual artists. And um, it's almost like having a visual representation is a vital part to anything being an NFT. And I hope that that changes in the future just because, you know, NFT is just the technology itself, right? Like if you're trying to NFT a book, shouldn't have to also have a visual counterpart or something, you know, the content is the content. Um, but that being said, you know, I think obviously it's a, with, especially with smart contracts, I think it's created or opened, you know, so many doors as to what's possible. And we are currently in the process of discovering that everybody together, I think. Um, so, you know, just like an example of something like cool that uh, I experimented with, you know, especially with the recent fortune cover um, NFT drop that I did was, I was like, look, if I want, if I'm going to do an NFT drop, like I don't want it to just be a drop of the cover. I think we have an opportunity to do something a little bit cooler here. And so, um, you know, one of the people who are, or the guys that are best at doing um, the smart contracts for a lot of this stuff right now are Manifold, which are, um, they're like a smart contract, like NFT minting company. Um, and I'm sorry, what name did did you just say? Manifold. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so I um, collaborated. I mean, they've collaborated previously, you know, with all the biggest artists like Pac and, um, you know, like Fuck Render and Slime Sunday. And so um, what we did with them was that uh, with, you know, because the cover of Fortune magazine that I did uh, features so many different like crypto influencers as avatars and um, a lot of them, you know, with their wallet addresses being public, um, we fed into the smart contract to target their wallet addresses so that the artwork will actually, so I made special versions that basically feature them, let's say really largely on the cover. And so, you know, for example, let's say if Laura Shin placed a bid, then it would just be Laura's face like plastered all over the cover or something. And then um, it was just meant to be a fun, like interactive experiment you know especially just trying to do something a little bit new with um nfts and you know even now it's like i think the like the apis for a lot of the platforms are still a little bit limiting like for example OpenSea was a little bit slow to like update their metadata so you know in an ideal world when somebody places a bid it would immediately update but in this case just because that was just not ready on OpenSea's end. So it was taking a few minutes to update. So, you know, in a really intense auction, actually, um, that wouldn't have really flown by well because then be like, Laura would place an auction and then I'll place one right after. It doesn't even have time to update to the Laura version before, you know? So that's how we know we're still early, I think, is just because so many of these things are so lacking when we have the ideas um, and we can taste the possibility of it happening. But um, a lot of the platforms and everything are just slow to catch up. I mean, um, you know, OpenSea actually couldn't, uh, ended up, you know, having a lot of issues on their end, even just supporting the auction itself um, because there was like too much traffic and then they got DOS attacked. And so uh, two of the pieces closed prematurely. Um, you know, there were all these issues with the auction itself, which uh, is unfortunate, but yeah, like I said, it's just an indicator of how early we are. Um, and so Hopefully in the future, you know, when all of this kind of like, but these are things that affect it financially, right? Because of these two auctions um, being closed prematurely due to the platform, 
they sold for one of them sold for I think less than half of the value that it was supposed to sell for. You know, this is a real financial impact. And so, you know, just talking about like finance and NFTs, like obviously it's great that there's this new um, way for us to monetize our work, but there is, you know, sort of a lot of other dependencies that factor into like the finance of things with NFTs for sure. So hopefully, you know, we're working towards a future where a lot of these things go a lot more smoothly. One quick question before we move on. I really want to discuss DAOs soon. However, during the week this episode was recorded, we saw two institutions buy NFTs. Visa bought a CryptoPunk and Budweiser bought Beer.eth, which is a domain name NFT. Obviously, you have now worked with an institution, Fortune Magazine, and I was curious to know where you thought this institutional interest in NFTs would go. I feel like there's almost like two tracks of this interest in NFTs. There's kind of the Discord chat rooms where people are waiting for the NFT drops, but then you've got this other end. So I was curious to hear how you're perceiving these two constituencies that are interested in NFTs. Well, I mean, I think uh, clearly, you know, a lot of, I, I'm, I'm sure without a doubt, a lot of it is financially motivated. Um, let's be real, you know, I mean, us being in crypto, we find the technology really cool and everything in it for the tech. Uh, but what generates headlines is at the end of the day, you know, all the headlines that you ever see are just this NFT sold for this much money or this company made this much money selling NFTs, you know, NFTs money number. And so um, I feel like maybe that's what initially attracts, you know, a lot of these major corporations to, you know, sort of like dabble. But I do think that, you know, there is a difference between the ones that actually are, you know, open-minded and willing to learn about what the space is really about. And, um, you know, honestly, I really felt that with Fortune is just, you know, after this whole experience, they were like, we're going to open like a Fortune vault and uh, start just like holding NFTs now. So, you know, I think I thought that was really cool. Right. You know, we helped them set up their first like on-chain identity. They bought Fortune Media or Fortune Magazine.eth. Um, you know, they have a hardware wallet now. And then, you know, I didn't even think that they would want to start collecting NFTs, but they do. Um, you know, it wasn't just a... And, you know, they're holding their crypto. So this is just an example, right? I'm, I'm just using this because I directly work, work with them. So I, I can actually say this, or at least I know my information is accurate. Um, and I'm sure there's other corporations who, you know, obviously after having these experiences also sort of like open up their eyes to what is possible, like within the space. And it's not just a come and do NFTs, cash out and, you know, go back to their old corporate lives kind of situation, um, which... I hope, yeah, happens more and more uh, because it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's so much I, I, at this point, I feel like it's almost hopefully like undeniable that this is just a, a technology that will be so existing in our lives constantly in the near future. And so the earlier a company can be onboarded, probably the better for them. So a new trend in crypto is this trend of DAOs and NFTs specifically curation DAOs, though I don't know all the different terminology for these different types of DAOs. How do you see DAOs changing NFTs, art curation, collecting, etc.? I guess the sort of elephant in the room that I should bring up at this point in the episode is that when I sold my Uniswap NFT in March, uh, it 
like incepted the creation of Pleaser DAO, which are now sort of like one of the big players in sort of like collector DAOs. And honestly, like, I think that at the time it blew people's minds because, you know, around that time, even though NFTs were, you know, such a big thing and then, you know, everybody was like buying and selling NFTs, but it was very much a collector's dominant, like whale collector's dominant game, right? Like as an individual whale collectors and, you know, sort of like at least anybody who's dabbled in the NFT space knew that there were a few notable collectors, you know, who are famous within the space. Um, and then, so when Pleaser DAO was formed, um, you know, not just with my piece, but immediately after when they bought the Edward Snowden NFT, it kind of like woke people up to being like, okay, there's a new <laughs> sort of player in the game now, which is a DAO, which um, at the time, you know, like even with my auction, it's like, uh, how do you beat a DAO when, you know, a bunch of people have sort of like a collected common goal and then they're just like, we're going to stop at nothing to get this piece, you know? And then so it, it, it's a very similar kind of like movement that you're seeing, you know, with the whole uh, Wall Street bets um, subreddit thing that happened. It's just collective coordination and the power of that, right? And when I was like selling my piece, um, I, I honestly, for me personally, I envisioned um, hopefully some whale collector was going to bid on it and win the piece. So when people were telling me, oh, there's this like DAO that's being created right now where people are pulling funds together to, you know, win the auction, um, it blew my mind in the sense that people were down to collectively own something. And I think that's what makes DAOs so powerful. And, you know, sort of like, I didn't catch on to this until way later, but Basically, somebody uh, explained it really well in Pleaser DAO. They were like, look, just imagine there's like a future internet MoMA or something. But when you're going to, like all the people who visit the museum, they also own um, a bit of every piece of art that's in that museum. And I, I just think that's that's so special and cool at the same time, you know. And so uh, that, that's kind of like what, you know, what they're doing right now is, and I mean, obviously compared to old traditional corporations, DAOs are so scary because you can do everything over the internet, you're pulling funds on the blockchain, like, you know, with the Edward Stone piece, they got together that 5.5 million within 12 hours, which is insane and just doesn't happen in a regular company. Um, and you're like recruiting members. It's just like, you know, it's like a monster or like a machine of a startup that just expands and like recruits extremely fast and like no one can stop. This is literally an unstoppable force. So, you know, I think that obviously... Like, you know, we've already seen this happen with like even subreddits. Subreddits honestly are like kind of a DAO. They're just like not monetized or they don't have like tokens or governance. But, you know, it's the same concept, right? And it's like, you can't, you know, stop like the army of the many is how they put it. And so, yeah, like DAOs are a huge game changer. It's exciting to see where this is going to go. So I'm so curious, um, based on this discussion, I did see someone tweet something earlier today and I don't have the exact tweet, but um, it was something like, you know, you could own one of a limited edition run of 500 of the same NFT, or you could own one 500th of a single unique NFT and uh, kind of posing the question, like, which do you think is more valuable? And I was curious to hear your answers to this question. I think that depends on the project itself, right? Um, you know, with every, like, well, I feel like that's just such a an obvious answer, but you know, like I can own like one CryptoPunk, there's 10,000 of them, but that owning that is going to be at least monetarily um, more valuable than owning like a one of one 
of an artiste that maybe doesn't have that kind of like value discovered or determined yet, you know, and is selling for like one Ethereum, for example. And so there's no like right or wrong answer to this question. I think it just depends on the piece itself. You know, at the, at the end of the day, value is speculative or subjective and it changes all the time. And, you know, to own, like, obviously, for example, like the pieces that Pleaser Dow go after, they hope are going to be pieces that everybody wants to own, like one, one thousandth of or something, for example, like the Doge NFT or, um, you know, just like any piece that they like acquire is hopefully like a very, very unique and significant one of one that is going to uphold its value down the line and that everybody wants to own part of. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can own like a, a board ape, which is, you know, one of like, I think it's yeah, 10,000, right? And then, uh, but that in itself has like a different set of values than owning like a portion of something. And out of curiosity for Damien Hurst's latest project, The Currency, in which he sold 10,000 NFTs of hand-painted dot-covered works on paper, and then each buyer can decide if they want to redeem the NFT for the corresponding physical artwork, but they only have one year to, uh, you know, to do that. And if they don't request the physical artwork, then it'll be destroyed. I was curious um, how what percentage of people you thought would um, choose to redeem the NFT for physical artwork. Yeah, I mean, like being a digital native myself, obviously I'm biased towards anything digital. I also just don't like a lot of stuff, right? So it's like, to me, it's perfect that I can move artwork like without any effort on the blockchain as opposed to having to carry something physically. It's, me like more expensive probably um to do that and so just from like a practical standpoint i would but at the same time you know i don't know like there's still a lot of real people out there who aren't like nerds who live in a cave like me so (laughs) all right yeah we'll have to see what happens then okay so last question um where do you think the nft space will go in the next year or so i like I have been saying this so many times that I am looking forward for it to be way bigger in the gaming space. I don't know why it isn't already. I think that it has something to do with the fact that our hardware technology is not caught up with what we imagine to be possible with metaverses and immersive experiences. But um, yeah, you know, at, at least for me, um, like I said previously as well, with NFT being just like the technology and it's not just art, right? Like NFT is not, you know, art is one subset of like what an NFT is possible for. I mean, we've seen a, like some sort of real world implementations of um, NFTs already like that are beyond just art. But I hope to see, you know, way more of this, you know, trading of assets, um, in-game economies, which already happens and is a huge thing. Um, you know, for example, I don't know, I think... Obviously, you know, Blizzard are, you know, they have like their own eco- whole like own ecosystem, Warcraft with even like individual games that they have. It's just like there's a crazy economy that already exists for that. Um, and, you know, like hopefully in the future with the metaverse, it's like not only cross game, but cross like platform. You know, it doesn't have to be like um, Blizzard currency is only used in Blizzard games or like Riot. You know, it's like maybe in the metaverse, it's like all of those assets are transferable. You know, because, for example, like 3D assets are, at the end of the day, kind of all made the same way, you know, more or less. And so there's no reason why, yeah, it could could be like cross-transferable, like in platforms and games. And I hope to see way more of that in NFTs. Um, Yeah. Where can people learn more about you and your work? 
I'm mostly spending my time on Twitter. Um, I'm just people pleaser one on Twitter because when I created my account, there was already a people pleaser. Um, but I'm just people pleaser on Instagram. That's where I post more of my sort of personal artwork. And yeah. To learn more about people pleaser, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Mark Murdoch. Thanks for listening.